Blog Talk Radio. When I was five, hired out to watch a baby And he beat me when he cried I consider that too much of a price Even though I'm thick-skinned, some of the scars Stay with me for life I ain't never been the type to spin around to the other cheek Putting up a fight to me and my people's all are free Four brothers, four sisters, thick family I'm the fourth child, you following mathematically God's in my veins, I can feel it in my soul Three older sisters never seen again when they were sold When they came from my brother, my mom's made them a promise Whoever tried to take him, she split and open your noggin Mommy was a rider Spiritual advisor Security provider That's why I'm alive wire When they ain't take my brother I felt the power inside of me Influenced by the moment I'll never settle for slavery Heavy metal weight In my head as a teen Now with seizures Dr. Lepsy And strange dreams From the tribe of Asante Through grandma Modesty Being free Holding my own Just a part of me You thinking about coming after me Better bring your faculty 20 miles away Before you even know what's happening Cargo on my train And it's Something like traffic I'm happy as a conductor I ain't never lost a passenger I'm plotting on my escaping I'm married and feeling patient I'm out with no debating You silly for conversating I'm breaking and while you waiting And I'll make it I'll be sure to get the safest route to travel And be back for you as base September 17th 1849 Me and my brothers Henry and Ben Said it's mine So we left for Maryland Headed towards freedom land But they feet chill lead up So we turned around and went Back to the owners Believe me I didn't wanna Had I knew my brothers was scared with in the bottom A little while later Man I ran away again But this time Straight dolo fan Backs to the wind In the middle of the night In the winter In the cold I was navigating On the underground railroad Nah It ain't a literal train It's a form of resistance Just with the railroad theme So a station's a safe house Where the runaways go And the runaway slaves Are considered cargo The person who hit them Considered a station master And the stockholders The one who will put the cash up Me I'm the conductor I transported the cargo routes that I took remain secret I took an old boss of my train you get on There is no rebelling grown man said he turning back and I had to tell him Fam, why you had me bring the metal out? Cock it back, point it at your head and bring the devil out There's no going back, besides you gonna snitch And I'll kill you where you stand before you sing behind the whip Running from slave catchers, a bounty on my head Until my whole fam free, I don't really care Had a 10 year span with 19 or so trips I done free so many slaves they calling me Moses during the Civil War. Because of my skills, I became the first woman to lead an armed assault. I am Harriet Tubman. You need to fall back, a conductor. I never ran my train off the track. You thinking about coming after me? Better bring your faculty. 20 miles away before you even know what's happening. Cargo on my train and it's something like traffic. I'm Harriet the conductor. I ain't never lost a passenger. Welcome to another episode of Our Own Voices Live. I am Rodney Smith in the air chair with my co-host Angela Thomas on vacation celebrating another anniversary. Big shout out to my homegirl 
Angela doing a thing with the man of her life, Mr. Michael. Always, always big props to you guys for showing that marriage actually does work. And look at the beautiful family that came out of that union. So everyone today, there's a lot of emotion out there because we just had an election. That's right. We in the United States of America on November 8th, 2016, shocked the world, (laughs) shocked ourselves, and I believe even shocked the candidate by electing Donald Trump as the president of the United States of America, and some would say the leader of the free world. Not only did we do that, but we also have a majority House of Representatives, United States Senate, and a Supreme Court vacancy that President-elect Trump will make as President Trump, which some say will tilt the court towards a more conservative court. Well, we're going to talk about what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to you? Uh, Also, yesterday, we had Veterans Day, and that is a day that we recognize the contributions of the veterans to our democracy. And I thought, how fitting veterans say come shortly after the election of our president. So we're going to talk about Veterans Day and, and how do you how do you recognize Veterans Day? What do you do on Veterans Day? Do you celebrate? Do you party? Do you shop? Do you rest? What do you say to a veteran? Do you reflect? That's what is Veterans Day to you. And then our third topic today, yeah, we got a jam-packed show, so I got to get on to the business. But our third show, our third uh, subject today is the insurrection in Wilmington, North Carolina. That's right, the insurrection in Wilmington, North Carolina, 1998. Did you all even know? that there was an insurrection in Wilmington, North Carolina? Did you even know that there was an insurrection in this country? Well, believe it or not, there was, and it happened in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we're going to touch on that, as well as we're going to touch on Veterans Day. And I must admit, a good portion of our show today will involve the election, because this Rocked the world Not just America Not just some community near you But this one Rocked the world And we want to talk about what that might mean To you And before we go Too much further I want you all to give me a call At 347-826-9600 347-826-9600 If you want to chime in Because I'd love to hear from you all today if not, I, I can just go on because I have a whole lot to say. There is no shortage of things I have to say about this one. Uh, 347-826-9600. And press option one if you'd like to talk because you can listen in through your computer. You can listen in through your phone, your your iPad, whatever electronic digital device that you have. You can listen in to this show. And if you don't get a chance to listen to it all, it's all right. Come back to it because it will be podcast. So you guys can 
you don't have time to listen to it all today, maybe you can listen to it some other day. And you can always leave us comments at our Facebook page, Our Own Voices Live. And, of course, on Twitter at Our Own Voices because we want to hear from you on this. And we want this conversation to just kind of continue, you know, keep keep going. Um, so, once again, that's area code 347 
does Veterans Day mean to you? When you see a veteran, what do you think? Just how do you how do you celebrate Veterans Day? Well, let me read to you a little bit about Veterans Day, and this comes from uh, the VA.gov's webpage, and you can go there and uh, you can find out some more. And I put the link on the uh, uh, Facebook page, and this gives you a brief history of Veterans Day. And what basically what it says is, uh, and I'll read it. I can paraphrase a little bit of it too. It says World War One, known as the time at known at the time as the Great War. Uh, some people said it was the war to end all wars. Officially ended with the Treaty of Versailles was signed on June 28, 1919, in the Palace of Versailles outside of the town of Versailles, France. However, fighting ceased seven months earlier when an armistice, and that word is important, when an armistice or temporary cessation of hostilities between the Allied nations and Germany went into effect. Notice that was the Allied nations in Germany, not Japan. On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, and for that reason, November 11, 1918, is generally regarded as the end of the war to end all wars. The 11th month, the 11th day of the 11th hour. The reason why I wanted to say that is because we were talking yesterday at the gathering, and the, a lot of people didn't know that Veterans Day came about due to the ending of World War One, nor did they know the significance of the 11th hour. They didn't know to understand the significance of the date nor the 11th hour. Well, what I wanted to point out was because the 11th hour was the last hour before midnight. In other words, a new day is about to break. A new, a new day is about to come. So, in other words, it was, some people would say, the last minute, the last opportunity for that war to end before it started a new day. So the November 11th, significant, because that's when hostilities actually ceased. But it was at the 11th hour. So November 11th, 1918, gave us the cessation of the war to end all wars. And you hear the phrase, the 11th hour, meaning late in the day. And it was taken from the parable, believe it or not, of, of the Bible. So that's why that, and it doesn't have as much significance today as it, as it did years ago. And some people would say even Veterans Day doesn't take on the significance that it used to have. Uh, well, Significance is given by those who are aware of it, those who understand it. So I wanted to give you just a little bit of, of background on, on Veterans Day. Uh, Veterans Day was originally Armistice Day. And that just mean 
we're not shooting each other. We're not killing each other right now. So that's why uh, the old, many old-timers would call it Armistice Day. And Armistice Day pretty much uh, just evolved. The dates changed and just evolved eventually into Veterans Day. And the reason why it evolved into Veterans Day, because, of course, after the war to end all wars, World War One, guess what happened? Uh, less than 20 years later, World War II started. And so World War One, though it was entitled the war to end all wars, obviously wasn't because we're still fighting today. And we did have uh, World War Two, And then we had the Korean War, and then we had the Vietnam War, we had the Gulf Wars, and Gulf War Two, And now we have the conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places in the world, the war and terror that seems like it may never end. So all of that is how eventually Armistice Day turned into Veterans Day. So I ask you, how do you celebrate or recognize Veterans Day? What do you do? Do you thank a veteran for their service? And if you do, that's fine. But do you just barbecue? Do you take time to read up on the history of the day and the history of war, especially with this country, for your children, to study up on war because there seems to be no end of it. And it does have an impact. It has a monetary cost, and obviously it has a physical cost in the toll of lives that it takes as well as on the body and some and today, just as importantly, on the mind, because technology is of such that many people who wouldn't have survived in previous wars are surviving in today's conflict, and sometimes their bodies are healed, but oftentimes their minds may not. And that's what gives us PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and then something that is lesser known, but it's called TBI, traumatic brain injury. And traumatic brain injury, uh, you, you hear about football players, I believe it's called CTE. It's similar to that. Uh, you hear about uh, shaking uh, infant syndrome. It's similar to that. It's a physical brain injury oftentimes called, caused by a rapid movement of the head and some type of brain or brain stem uh, contact slash damage inside of, inside of your skull. So that's just a general overview. Rodney is not the doctor by any means, at least not a medical doctor. So uh, research those things. Research PTSD because it is impact. As a matter of fact, some people would say if you live in an impoverished uh, or poor neighborhood, and especially a minority neighborhood, you inherently have PTSD. Find out what PTSD is because it just doesn't affect those troops returning home from overseas but there's many people who feel as if they're in a battle right here in the United States of America. So hopefully what you've learned today associated with Veterans Day is that Veterans Day wasn't always Veterans Day. It started out as Armistice Day, and an armistice means the cessation of hostilities. And it actually started on, excuse me, ended at 1058, 
10.58 p.m., rounded up to 11 o'clock, and that's how you get the 11th hour at the last minute. And that 11th hour of reference actually was taken from a parable. I believe it was the King James Bible. So something for you all to, to ponder, Veterans Day is over now. I like, you know, big shout out to all the places that give us free food and discounts. Uh, big shout out to TC's Rib Crib for the 20% discount to the veterans. All the other many establishments are just give you food free. And, and you know, I, I like the attitude because almost universally now in America, and it wasn't always this way, veterans get recognized. And, and I thought that this was interesting. We talked about Veterans Day because we just had an election. And during the election, the campaigning, whether it's uh, for your local city council all the way up to the presidency of the United States, veterans are often invoked as we need to take care of our veterans and how much we value them. But what happens after Veterans Day? What happens after the election, after the parade? Do we still truly value those veterans and their contributions and sacrifices, their families? Because we have so many homeless, we have so many on the street, we have so many taken advantage of by the veteran system itself. I tell people, I say, you know, the Veterans Administration, it provides services. It's not rocket science. Why hasn't it been fixed? What will the impact of this election have on the Veterans Administration? Presidents will often say, my most important responsibility is the safeguarding and protection of the United States of America and its people. That's what they usually say. They say that's like their number one responsibility. Well, they use the United States military to carry that out. And then once they've used those active duty members, guard and reservists who've been activated, merchant marines, believe it or not, the National Guard, once they have used them, and those members come back into general society. How do we treat them? Do we take care of them the way that they should be taken care of? Do we hold up the oath that President Lincoln made during and after the Civil War that we would forever take care of our veterans? Yes, I am a vet. And I've gone through the system. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, it is not pleasant most of the time. It is somewhat arduous on filling out all of the paperwork, getting those services that were promised. And most of us don't want anything more. We just want what we're told we're supposed to receive. Veterans Day, what does it mean to you? I suggest reading, of course. There's documentaries. A lot of times there are TV movies, TV shows on this time of year, historical documentaries, uh, fiction. But, you know, sort of take it in and share it with your children. Share it with your family members. Share it with your friends. Discuss it. What's its significance? It doesn't mean you're a warmonger by any means. After all, these are people. And when we I often hear people say America is the greatest country on earth, I don't want to live anyplace else but America. People literally die trying to come to America legally and undocumented. They're coming here for a reason. But one of the reasons 
is because it's a fairly safe place. Our elections, even though there's some rioting in the streets right now, there's a protest, still there was no gunfire. The legacy of the American electoral process. And as we talk about gunfire and, and, and warring and, and veterans and the peaceful transfer of power, one of the other topics that we wanted to talk about today And this is almost opposite of everything that I just said about the peaceful transfer of power. Because there was a coup d'etat in Wilmington, North Carolina, in these United States. And that's going to be our next topic. Uh, Before we do that, uh, Brief Station ID, this is Rodney Smith, an episode of Our Own Voices Live. Our topic today are Veterans Day. Wilmington, North Carolina insurrection, November 10th, 1898, and the 2016 election. We just got through covering Veterans Day. We would love for you to give us a call at area code 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. You can listen in, or if you want to talk, just press the one on your keypad. That will let me know that you listeners want to move from listening to also share it, because I would like to hear what you all have to say. So I mentioned Veterans Day earlier, and then I mentioned the Wilmington, North Carolina insurrection. And I, I wanted to do this, this segment today because we do have protesters in the street after, after an election. And it's a part of our First Amendment right is freedom of expression, exercising that right, freedom of expression. But in 1898, it wasn't for the presidency, but it was for elected office that a duly elected government was overthrown. And when I say overthrown, I mean in the truest sense of the word, something that you would see on one of those Banana Republic movies or what you hear about often in the Middle East. I'm talking about there was people who had been elected by their local population and Someone, someone forcibly overpowered them, installed their own, own leadership, and vanquished those who had duly been elected. That's right. It was a coup d'etat in Wilmington. North Carolina. Now, believe it or not, I'm originally from North Carolina. Wilmington, North Carolina is on the east, southeast coast of North Carolina. As a matter of fact, if you're driving south using I-95, you're going pretty close to Wilmington, North Carolina. Get off that, take highway, I believe it's uh, 
421. Somebody help me out, and that will take you to Highway 17. I believe it's uh, Oceanside Highway, and that will take you to Wilmington, North Carolina. Now, I'm not from Wilmington, but I'm actually further south of Wilmington, halfway between Wilmington and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So halfway between Wilmington and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, let me tell you, it's not that far from Wilmington to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you fly into my home, you can fly into Myrtle Beach or you can fly into Wilmington. I usually go to Myrtle Beach because I can get a straight-through flight. There is no straight-through flight from Las Vegas to Wilmington that I'm aware of. But if I did, I would drive down. So Wilmington, North Carolina. Now, Wilmington, North Carolina, significant in the Civil War. uh, The area was significant in the Revolutionary War. But after the wars were over in 1898, there was an insurrection in, of all places, Wilmington, North Carolina. Now, let me give you a little background about Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898. Because Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898 really was a jewel of what America is supposed to be and really what it can be. And what I mean by that is in Wilmington, North Carolina, blacks and whites coexisted reasonably peaceful, blacks and white people. This is in 1898. They got along. And they, they lived together, they worked together, and here's something that you may not be aware of. Again, this is 1898. There were actually more black people in Wilmington, North Carolina, than there were white people. Black people were professionals. They were lawyers, artisans, newspaper uh, owners. That's right. Wilmington, North Carolina. Wilmington, North Carolina is uh, not too far from uh, Fair River. Uh, matter of fact, uh, there's a battleship parked there called uh, the USS North Carolina, and, and it's in Wilmington, North Carolina. But in 1898, the Democrats, the Democrats wanted seats in the state legislature. And what they were doing is they were campaigning to reduce the influence of blacks in Wilmington, North Carolina. In North Carolina in general, the legislature. And what happened was they were somewhat dismissed. There was a newspaper in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I believe it was called the Daily Record. And it was one of the most influential newspapers in North Carolina. Some people would say in the whole South. And this newspaper and the publisher, the editor of this newspaper, was targeted by white supremacists, racists, Klansmen, former Confederate soldiers, 
because they attributed the loss of one of their own for the governorship to this newspaper. And they threatened that if the elections continued to go through in Wilmington, North Carolina, as they had, and the installation of white people there locally, as well as blacks, if it would continue, that these former Confederate Klansmen and these white supremacists led by Alfred Waddell did just that. As a matter of fact, two days after the election, the white mayor and the biracial city council, in other words, a third of the city council in Wilmington, North Carolina, was black, something else other than white. This is in 1898. And the racists wouldn't stand for it. And they said that they would burn the newspaper down, and they did. The Daily Record. They ran officials and community leaders out of the city and killed many black people. There was a neighborhood there called Brooklyn. They destroyed it. They even took photographs of themselves doing this. The the Wilmington Light Infantry and their Federal Naval Reserve were ordered to kind of, you know, hey, let's stop this thing. They called this a riot. Matter of fact, it was billed as a race riot. No, it wasn't a race riot. Black people weren't the ones tagging it. Black people were the ones who were being attacked. Black people and Sympathetic whites, these are people living their regular lives. They were attacked. The place was burned down. A bunch of people were killed. And a lot of businesses were destroyed. The governor wouldn't even request help. The governor, the governor wouldn't request help. About 2,100 black people wound up permanently leaving the city. They left their businesses, their property. You know, they had a black man. Or they, they, they had a black, the city was majority black. When those 2,100 black people left, obviously made the city a white majority. And when that white majority took over, Wilmington, North Carolina has never regained its majority black population. Wilmington, North Carolina, 1898. That that is a recognized coup d'etat, otherwise known, as it's officially stated, as insurrection in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I want you all, I'll put a link for it 
on the Facebook page and also on the Blog Talk radio page. I want you to click on to both of those. And I want you to get some more background on this insurrection that took in the United States of America in Wilmington, North Carolina. One of the other things that, that happened because this is not, not did it just change Wilmington, but it possibly changed the entire South. And what I mean by that is this really ushered in Jim Crow to its fullest effect. Because this happened in Wilmington, and it was almost it almost had like a cascading effect throughout the South, where white supremacists, some people say that there's some parallels between today and then, where people were emboldened to act out things that may they may have thought, things that they may have talked about amongst themselves, and I'm going to do a play on words, amongst their confederates. But these are true confederates, though. Many of them were, uh, had been soldiers in uh, the, the Civil War. But they may have talked about these things amongst themselves. But once this happened, people across the region, that's that southeast region, just became more emboldened to not just talk about it amongst themselves, not just think about it, to act out on many of their beliefs. And that is the fear that many people have that you see in the streets today after the 2016 election. That is part of the fear that they have because we have seen not only an uptick as President Obama is president, but during this presidential race, we've seen and heard a lot more hate. And that's why this story of the insurrection of Wilmington, North Carolina on November 10th, 1898 is very important. It comes right before us today as we celebrate Veterans Day on November 11th. And it was veterans from the Civil War. They, they were racist, white supremacists, former Confederate soldiers, no doubt took up arms to overthrow a duly elected city council and mayor in the United States of America, Wilmington, North Carolina, 1898. Go to our page, check it out, and look at the parallel. That's why it's so important that we do have a peaceful transfer of power because things can spiral out of control so fast. Emotions can run high. We need emotions. Emotions are good. But emotions at times also need to be checked. This is a time for leadership. Just like the governor in Wilmington, North Carolina, could have asked for help and didn't. Well, maybe maybe our people need some attention that they haven't gotten. Maybe that's why you had the unpredicted outcome of the election. People are frustrated. Their emotions are welling up. How will they express themselves? Will the insurrection or coup d'etat in Wilmington, North Carolina, be the only one in our history book? Isn't the idea of America is that we do have free elections, free of violence as well? 
you know, they say if you don't learn from your history, learn from your past, you're bound to repeat it, the insurrection of Wilmington, North Carolina. You may find it listed as a race riot, as a race riot. And from some of the reporting of outside news agencies, kind of similar to today, right, they listed it as a race riot of blacks. But in reality, yeah, I guess it, you could say it was a race riot, but it was a white, a white Democrat attacking blacks, killing them, literally running, displacing 2,100 black people out of Wilmington, North Carolina. It was and is identified as an insurrection that is the forceful overthrow of a duly elected government by hostile forces, coup d'etat, Wilmington, North Carolina, United States of America, November 10th, 1898. Many people say, many scholars and historians say that that finally ushered in Jim Crow throughout the southeast region of this country for the next 67 years. That event, one event can spark activities that can spread almost like a virus and impact us for decades. Insurrection, Wilmington, North Carolina, November 10, 1898. Please take an opportunity to look it up, educate yourself, educate your children. So that's two of our three topics today. Once again, let's do a recap. Our topic today was Veterans Day, which we touched on first. And I mentioned that Veterans Day was originally Armistice Day. And Veterans Day is be- was, it was called Armistice Day because there was armistice means a cease, ceasing of hostilities. And then World War One was considered the war to end all wars. Obviously, it wasn't because in roughly 20 years later, we had World War Two, And so we had veterans from World War Two. We had veterans from the Korean War. But Armistice Day was something more specific to World War One. So from that, to pay honor and to our Civil War vets, our Revolutionary War vets, and all veterans, Veterans Day events, or excuse me, Armistice Day eventually became Veterans Day. So that was Veterans Day. And the question I asked was, how do you recognize Veterans Day? What do you do? How do you celebrate it? How do you, how do you recognize it? And do we treat our veterans as they should be treated? Are they getting their needs met, the services that are due them? That was the first topic. And then the second topic was Wilmington, North Carolina, insurrection, November 10, 1898. And I keep saying that date over and over again because I want us to understand that that comes the day before Veterans Day. It comes right around the time that we have elections in this country because that's what happened. They had elections, and these terrorists, thugs, white supremacists, former Confederate soldiers through a duly elected government, city council and mayor and women in North Carolina, and then installed their own. And here's the thing about it that I didn't touch on. After they installed it, after everything was all said and done, nobody went to jail. Does it sound familiar to you? 
not only did no one go to jail, no one had to pay restitution for the property damage, but that government, as best as I can tell, and if somebody else can research it, please go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook, Our Own Voices on Twitter, and let me know, because as best as I can tell from my research, the government that was installed after the coup in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898, after everything was all said and done, as best as I know, and I'm going to read up on it again in case I missed something, they stayed in office. So not only was it an, insurre- was it an insurrection through coup d'etat, but after everything was said and done, and I believe President William McKinley was president at the time, they stayed. So that means the legacy of Wilmington, North Carolina's insurrection went unpunished. And to this day, there has been no reparation for the loss of property, damage to property, theft of property, the loss of land for those 2,100 people who were run out of town. There's been no reparations. No reparations has been proposed, and I believe that it will happen. It hasn't happened yet. That's why when you go to the polls, ask the candidates, how do they feel about some of these things? So we talked about Veterans Day. We talked about the Wilmington, North Carolina insurrection, November 10th, 1898. And then our final topic is election 2016. And I said, what does it mean? And that's what we're going to move on after a brief station ID. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live. I am your host, Rodney Smith, and today's Wilmington, North Carolina insurrection of November 10th, 1898, and then our final topic is the 2016 election. Our Own Voices Live comes here every Saturday, normally at 1230. We last approximately an hour and a half, and we like to have informed, occasionally entertained, but primarily informed people near us and someplace near you about some things. So our third and final topic today is the 2016 election. And this is an election that will go down in history, significant in its its overall importance, and the fact that it surprised seemingly everyone, including the candidates. Not only did it surprise the loser, but also the victor. In this case, the juggernaut, the Clinton machine, in the personage of Mrs. Hillary Rodham Clinton, was defeated by an outsider, Named Donald J. Trump For those of you Who may have been under a rock And have not heard Yes Donald Trump did win The presidency of the United States Of America and Is now the president elect Is getting his classified Briefings though as Elects of their party both Mrs. Clinton and President elect Donald Trump then at the time, just Mr. Donald Trump, Mr. Trump, received some classified briefing, confidential in nature mostly. 
and maybe some secret. But now he gets the good stuff. He gets the TS designated, the top secret stuff, the SCI, sensitive compartmented stuff. He had a meeting with President Obama that was supposed to run about 10 to 15 minutes. It lasted 90 minutes. I wish I could have been that fly on the wall to see, first of all, just to see the two gentlemen meeting after a contentious and raucous. That's how people say things to me. It really was worse, but that's how they say it to make it polite. But I really would like to have seen the two gentlemen when they first met. I'd like to have heard the tone of the conversation at the beginning, how it changed toward the end, if it changed. And if Donald Trump's eyes sort of opened up when he heard some things, now because they had cameras in there, there's a lot of things that, and the cameras weren't there the whole time, but there was probably some things they did discuss. But I was like, you know, it's like that old sugar honey iced tea. I had no idea things were like this. One of those moments. You know, what what was that epiphany all about? Three four seven eight two six ninety six hundred. Three four seven eight two six nine six zero zero. Press option one if you would like to chime in. We're talking about the twenty sixteen uh elections and actually we do have a caller who's been actually listening to the whole show. Let's uh bring him in there for the four zero seven uh area code. Good afternoon, call you listening to our own voices live. Uh did you have a comment or a topic for us? Hello, Rodney. This is Roger Harris. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How are you, Roger? Oh, do I fine. Wow. Well, for those of you who don't know, Roger Harris is a longtime listener and contributor to Our Own Voices. Roger Harris literally helped elevate Our Own Voices to another level with his large index of contacts. Well, Roger... Uh, good to hear you. You're sounding great. Uh, you listen to the show. What do you think about our topic today? What do you want to chime in? Oh, our topics have been very informative today. So I just didn't know about the insurrection in, of 1898 in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. So it was good to learn about that. Mm. And so many other people at the gathering yesterday. The only people who had heard of it was no one but me. And mm-hmm. I, I felt that it, it's just another example of how our education system sometimes fails. I should say it's not so much that our education system fails, it's that we fail our children by not ensuring that we have a more complete and robust education of all of our history. And you would think that one of, if not the only, insurrection in this country get a little bit more attention than it does. So every year I try to bring this up and sort of put it out there. And, you know, when I seen the people protesting in the streets and I heard Donald Trump before the uh, election say that he may not accept the outcome, it really brought the insurrection in Wilmington into focus for me because I thought, what would happen? And, And could this happen again today? And now that we have protesters in the street, I'm not sure what they're protesting. And I'm not sure what their goal is. And I'm not against them protesting because they are exercising their constitutional and First Amendment rights. But what is the goal? See, we knew what the goal was with those insurrectionists in Wilmington, North Carolina. We knew that. But I'm not sure what the goal is 
uh, the protesters today. Have have you uh, seen those protesters, Roger? Yes, I've seen those protests. Um, they've actually, I'm in Florida. They've actually had some in Miami, uh, Tampa, and Orlando. And I think uh, it's just to express the the dissent by the results of the election. I don't think they have any goals. That's mm-hmm. and that's the perplexing thing. I just hope they don't, you know, these these protests don't turn violent. And well, there's a couple of areas where they already have, and there exactly. was a. Uh, I, th- I want to say it was Portland. Now, the, it, it has been noted that those protests and the violence was perpetrated by anarchists, and uh, and actually have they have some footage of that. But we know that anarchists tend to get involved in almost every protest, peaceful or not, and mm-hmm. tend to steer them towards non-peaceful if they can. So. Exactly. Uh, folks that's out there, if you're listening, uh, be wary of the anarchists. They do play a role, but they also tend to be violent, promote violence. And for those of you who are African American, if you have in a separate protest, I do caution you because I can tell you from firsthand experience here in Las Vegas that oftentimes we can have a peaceful protest, and the anarchists will get involved and not really care about what we're out there protesting or rallying or marching about, but just for their, for their own means will become violent or damage property. And, of course, once the police are unleashed on the protesters, somehow they seem to find the black people. And oftentimes exactly. the anarchists move on, and then it's identified on the news that those violent black people, you know, believe it or not, Roger, the insurrection of Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898, November 10th, most of the newspapers of the day mentioned and their headline was that it was a race riot, mm-hmm. a race riot. And so we, we do, again, we have to learn from history and have to be cautious. Well, Roger, we just had the election. We have a new yes. president-elect, Donald yes, we J. Do. Trump. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Did you think beforehand, when he first came into the race, let's take it back a little bit. When he first came okay. into the race, did you actually take him serious? And this is, hey, Roger, this is just between us. We'll keep it between us. Did you actually take Donald Trump serious? I think specifically when any, when any person offers themselves up, uh, uh, to be a candidate for office, you have to take them serious because they have a they have a chance to win. And the way that he came onto the scene, uh, specifically with his with his uh, with his opening speech at Trump Tower, I just didn't think that his his uh, his rhetoric was inclusive at all. But I knew for him to win, he would have to run a divisive campaign, and that's that's what he did in the primaries with the Republican primaries, and that's what he did in the general election. You know, Roger, when I think about it, there were two juggernauts in the 2016 presidential race. In the mm-hmm. primaries, 
there was the Bush family in the Republican side. And exactly. on the Democratic side, we had the Clinton side. And if you think about it, for roughly the last 20 years or so, there has been a Bush or a Clinton somewhere involved in, in presidential politics. And they both are considered dynasties in their uh, respective parties. The Bush dynasty was upended fairly early in the primaries by uh, Donald Trump vanquishing the who would be president. Mm-hmm. And on the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders almost did the same to Hillary to Mrs. Hillary Clinton. Exactly. And some people would say that had Bernie not been conspired against by the DNC and the Clinton campaign, that it's quite possible that he would have been the Democratic nominee. So there should have I guess what I'm thinking is there were warning signs early on that something was different about this 2016 presidential race and something was going on within the parties that I'm not sure either party ever really grasped. And I'm not even sure if they, if they have it now. And, and in that, what I'm saying is President Obama got elected on hope and change. Yes. And in 2012, not, you know, not so much change, a little more hope. And in 2016, it looks like it was also a changed election, that the only people that understood it were the outsiders in Bernie Sanders' Democratic side and Donald Trump on the Republican side. Uh, yes. what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think specifically both of those candidates were able to, to really uh, get uh, the populist themes out there. And specifically talk to the people who have not uh, been able to recover during this so-called economic recovery. Uh, when you travel the Midwest and you travel uh, places down south, and specifically uh, look at unemployment, you see that there are a lot of people that are not working, and they they feel left out of the American dream. And I think both of those candidates really talk uh, to those kinds of things uh, with the economics, but also inspired people to be more involved uh, with with uh, with their politics and to pay attention to the issues. And both candidates were able to to talk to that. I don't think I think where Hillary Clinton made the mistake was specifically not picking a running mate that that could help her uh, in the urban centers because this was going to be a tight election. And it ended up being a tight election. In the states where she lost, she lost Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. The difference combined was less than 110,000 votes. So that really was something that 
could have been mapped up, you know, it, it really turned out that Democrats uh, voted for Trump, and then there were Democrats that didn't vote the presidential line, and then there were Democrats that just stayed home and were not inspired uh, like they were with Bernie Sanders. Roger, you actually hit on a bunch of things. Why do you think, though, that both political parties didn't recognize the need for change or that the, the country, the electorate, was looking for change? Not just the rhetoric of change, but they were looking for actual change. How, how did the parties miss that? I think they missed – there were people that were talking to them about it, but they just – for the powers that be, I think their listening skills need to be improved. Um, and oftentimes people get tunnel visioned when they get into campaigns like this, especially the big ones, and they get stubborn uh, to their turnout models and their data, but not actually, you know, how people are talking and feeling. And I think that's what was missed. Uh, specifically by the Clinton campaign because they were so honed into their turnout model that they forgot that they needed to empathize and also be able to relate to the voters, which she had a hard time doing. You know, I, I said at one, on one of the previous shows uh, prior to the election really the campaign season kicking off, mm-hmm. that Hillary Clinton was one of the most divisive candidates, one of the most divisive political figures in our country today and possibly in, our, in the history of this country, the Clintons in general. I had also said that if there was one way that you could motivate Republicans to go to the polls was to give them a target of a Clinton. And I also stated that the Clintons, and especially Hillary Clinton, was not that candidate that invoked a lot of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And I said maybe she will with women because of the historic nature. And, and let's be clear, Hillary Clinton did make history. As best as I know, she is the first person to be the nominee of a major political party. I think there might have been one other like 100 years ago or something. But as far as in modern times and for a major political party, I believe Hillary Clinton was the first. Now, we've had Shirley Chisholm who ran for president. Mm-hmm and was nominated at the uh, convention. But as mm-hmm. far as someone to actually be the nominee, I believe Mrs. Clinton was the first person. So a glass ceiling was broken. Exactly. Now, some people may say it was just expanded. I guess it depends on whether you see the glass half full or half empty. In my mind, a glass ceiling was broken. And if there mm-hmm. could be a nominee, then obviously there could be more and eventually one of those nominees is going to become president. So that's a part of the historic nature. Oh, and she was the only lady. 
to ever be a major nominee. As a matter of fact, there's going to be just a whole bunch of firsts. Everything she did as the nominee was a first. But there was the fact mm-hmm. that she was a former first lady to become uh, a U.S. senator. Uh, was it the fact that she was a former secretary of state female that was a senator? I mean, a lot of firsts, right? So she is an historic figure. Mm-hmm. But she's also a and historic figure for another reason today is potentially the Clinton dynasty, the Clinton legacy may have ended with her candidacy. And as that divisive figure that I mentioned, did the Democratic Party, was it just so entrenched in Clintondom that their eyes were blinded to what was really going on with their electorate? I think from the establishment with the party, uh, that answer is an obvious yes. And specifically, uh, the Democrats lost lost this election in middle America. Uh, lost it down south here in Florida. Lost it in, in Ohio. Uh, and those were two places where the Democrats spent heavily, uh, both Florida and Ohio. Uh, and we're thinking that they were going to win. Uh, and the campaigns, because just with what I did during the election season, I was part of a nonpartisan campaign that AARP was running called Take a Stand here in, here in Florida. So mm-hmm. I got a chance to go to the rallies of both uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and there were many of them. And you could see with the Trump people – an enthusiasm that they had uh, in his rallies were pulling thousands of people. He was pulling he was pulling the kind of support rally wise uh, similar to Barack Obama in 2008. And specifically, you know, with with the polling and people having her ahead, I just didn't see it. You know, because once. Once I went to a rally in Melbourne, Florida, and over 20,000 people showed up to it in an airplane hangar, I was like, whoa, this is something different. And he's pulling people from everywhere because he would ask the people where they were from, how far did they travel. People were traveling, you know, an hour or two, taking time away from work just to hear him speak. So... In that sense, I think the parties, they got too entrenched in their data, and the data was wrong. And specifically, the polling, this is why the media got it so wrong, is because they specifically thought that um, that Mrs. Clinton had it. It was hers to lose, and she lost it, and they thought she was in the lead. Um, all this, all this, all the other issues that came up with her emails, um, with Director Comey from the FBI, all those different kinds of things had had a play to this. But I think the Clinton campaign didn't realize, and the Democrats didn't realize that this was going to be a tough, a tough election. I think I think they were so giddy to the point that they thought they had it won that 
the results that they were getting back out in the urban centers just weren't big enough. You know, Roger, let's let's hit on that urban center because of what I've heard, and it was really disheartening. Because one of the first things I heard was that black people didn't turn out. And yeah, I heard that too. It almost seemed as if they were the party, the Democratic Party, was vilifying black people and saying that they didn't turn out for Mrs. Clinton. And it made me think. Well, does the Democratic own the Democratic Party own black people where they must turn out simply to vote for a Democratic candidate? There was something about the way that uh, whether it's Rachel Maddow on MSNBC and others, uh, they also talked about the Bernie people and said that many Bernie people didn't support Mrs. Clinton. They said that Bernie people stayed home like black people. They said that some Bernie people uh, voted for Trump. Same thing for black people. They said that some Bernie people uh, actually uh, went and voted for other candidates for other races but declined to vote on the presidential race. Same thing for black people. You know, the Bernie people and the black people ran parallel. As a matter of fact, I found that when I heard some of the Bernie folks complaining about how they were they were treated here at the county and state convention. I said, you know what? You could queue up some some comments of black people saying how they're treated normally, and now they're getting a taste of what it's like to be in our shoes. Mm-hmm. So the party parties seem to be out of step. Step with the electorate, almost cognizant dissident. When the information was actually there, you talked about the rallies. We saw the Bernie rallies. Here's another mm-hmm. one. We saw the President Obama rally when he ran against Hillary Clinton. She lost. We saw the Bernie rally. She came close to losing. Some people mm-hmm. say she actually lost, but we'll stick with the official. Yeah, we've seen those numbers. We saw the Trump rallies. We've seen those numbers. It was right there to be seen. How did they miss it? I think they they specifically uh, got tunnel visioned and specifically did not pay attention to what the people were saying. And that's disheartening because in in a situation uh like this when you're when you're doing electoral politics, your vote is your voice, and the support just wasn't there for Hillary Clinton, but they kept trying to to push it as though it was and the twenty two states that Bernie Sanders won in the primary elections really really came out in favor of him and what he was saying and specifically uh, how he was going about his business of campaign. You know, Roger, and, I want to hit on that. Roger, I want to yeah. hit on that. Because when we overlay the map of the states that Hillary Clinton won and that Bernie Sanders won, Hillary Clinton's states look more like red states 
typically places that Republicans would win. Bernie Sanders' map looks like places that typically Democrats would win, plus a, a few Republican pickups. Did, did the politicians, the powers that be, did they miss that too? Yes. Short answer, yes. They missed it. And see, that was something that was so clear, is that, yes, Mrs. Clinton won certain areas, but these were areas that Democrats normally don't win. Okay, so when's the last time a Democrat has won Texas? Wasn't that like when uh, Johnson ran? Mm-hmm. So, exactly. And Hillary, Hillary Clinton won Texas, and they said, oh, wow, Mrs. Clinton won Texas. And I was thinking, but so what? She's not going to win Texas in the general. So, matter of fact, if you look at, I mean, if you take her her map and you overlay it on Trump's map, you'll see that a lot of the places that she won are, are places that Trump won. Exactly. And I'm not a professional politician. I don't understand how all of these professionals that get paid really huge salaries. Mm-hmm. Just was walking around with blinders on, and the news media. Let's not forget them. Mm-hmm. Polling was really bad on this, and people, people who were responding to what they were seeing, didn't get, didn't get um, caught up with the polls. What I was seeing was an overswell of support for Donald Trump. And in Florida, it was every other day uh, something from the Trump campaign uh, was happening here. And they knew they needed to win Florida. And he knew he was going to be competitive in Florida. It just really had to, it really had to be that he needed to carry the state. And he did. And specifically, he was able to get uh, the Democrats, usually when they run statewide, they depend heavily on Broward, Dade, and Palm Beach counties. Well, those places turned out, but they didn't get the bump that they usually get of, of supporters coming out for this election. And just from what I've been hearing and from what I've seen, the same kind of enthusiasm that a Trump supporter had, the Clintons, the Clintons and the Democrats didn't have that kind of support, you know, that kind of enthusiasm. Hmm. Well, enthusiasm does tend to drive uh, the the vote and the, the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a lack of enthusiasm. Apparently, we had a lack of vision. Uh, mm-hmm. The Democratic Party themselves weren't listening to their own uh, electorate, but the same thing could be said for the Republicans because you know the Republicans there were, there were people who took back their endorsement of Donald Trump. There were mm-hmm. Republicans who publicly stated that they were going to vote for Mrs. Clinton instead of their Republican nominee. Now, that mm-hmm. is something that I don't know if it's unprecedented, but it's pretty close to it. 
how will Trump win since, to a certain extent, he didn't have the big money donors from the Republican Party. Nope. He didn't have the endorsements from the Republican Party. He didn't nope. have the leadership pushing him in the Republican Party. So some no, people didn't. might say that Donald Trump, what's, what's the movie, uh, The Avengers, when the, the Ultron talks about there's no strings attached to, to me? Mm-hmm. Donald Trump potentially is almost an independent dream in that he doesn't he doesn't owe the donor class anything. He doesn't owe the party anything. They must be shaking in their boots right now. Well, this is why they were meeting with him on Thursday. Uh both Paul Ryan Speaker Paul Ryan and uh Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. They they want to get some kind of influence on him, but the thing about it is uh, they weren't necessarily fully behind his candidacy. So there are no strings attached with him, and specifically he can he can put forth uh, his proposals, his executive orders, and his budget any way that he possibly can. He has to get it through Congress, so he specifically has an opportunity to be transformative, uh, even with the Republicans, uh, because many of them uh, weren't fully behind him. You know, this is almost like for I, – I know if, if, if this was like Bernie Sanders and the Democrats, people would say this is a revolution, Right. Well, right. has, there, has this been a revolution in the Republican Party that we just haven't quite ID'd as what it is yet? Yeah, it is a revolution within the Republican Party, no doubt. Even though it was a close election, I think many of the people who watched the results and uh, saw how things were going were in a full state of shock. <laughs> okay. So so we have this outsider, independently wealthy, uh, estimated to be worth somewhere between $3.5 billion, according to Forbes, and $14 billion, according to himself. <laughs> yeah. But you have a guy who is potentially the wealthiest person in the history of American politics to be the president of this country. Mm-hmm. We have the same individual who was not helped or supported by his party apparatus, the establishment. We have the same person who came in with ideas that many conservatives and many Republicans accused him of not being a true conservative or Republican for having them. Donald Trump mm-hmm. potentially is a transformative figure. Here's the question, Roger. Let's say that he puts forth proposals that he talked about, some controversial in general, like building the wall. Yeah. Others may be controversial to Republicans because it's not Republican-esque enough. What would happen? Because we know that the president proposes, the Congress 
approves, right? Mm-hmm. What would happen if those same Congress people who didn't support him but trying to make nice now decided that they weren't going to go with his agenda and basically derail a lot of the things that he proposed that they don't believe is conservative enough. Does Donald Trump really have a movement with longevity? And if so, what penalty do you think, if any, the Republican Party would pay if they didn't support their nominee's proposals? I think uh, for for that, the, the simple thing, the simple thing about it is, I think you see a lot of them lose office next time around, um, and you might you might even see Don, Donald Trump as president campaigning against these people and primary, mm. you know, primarying people, uh, just like these folks had done before. Uh, many of these members of Congress, you know, they have to go through a primary system in order to get to the general election. So mm-hmm. you might see a lot of these Trumpers out here running for office, you know, in order to be there in in support of uh, Donald Trump. So you might see something like that, specifically if 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 we don't get an infrastructure bill coming through, which our country desperately needs. Uh, it, it would put a situation where I think people would be like, okay, let me run for office then. Let me run for Congress. What do I have to lose? You don't need big money and you don't need party support. Donald Trump just proved it. So, you know, that, uh, uh, Rod, that's a great point because Hillary Clinton. I don't know if the final tally has come through, but she spent a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump spent less money than any nominee lately. He didn't have a, much of a ground game in some places, barely had offices. Mm-hmm. He upended politics as we know it. I'm just wondering. Is this something unique to him, or is it really a movement that could be built on by somebody else? In other words, is this not only the party of Trump, but will Trumpism become a philosophy throughout the the country in the, the Republican world and maybe even into the Democratic world? I think it's going to get interesting. Uh, that we shall see. When President Obama did it, we specifically knew that he had a ground game, he had all the analytics, and he had the specific uh, appeal uh, to the populace. Donald Trump, the way he did it, he didn't have to have the ground game because he had the media support. He was on TV a lot, and it was free media. Which, in the organizing world, if you can get free media, it's better than paid media because they see you in the moment and they see you actually doing something, which was uh, the coverage of the speeches and uh, the coverage of the rallies and the crowds. And I think specifically, I think right now we can say it's unique to him. It'll tell in time whether or not 
this actually goes into a movement where more other people will be able to uh, be able to uh, benefit from from this model of doing things, which is totally against what uh, Hillary Clinton was doing. Mm. Well, I just read a report from Yahoo News that Hillary Clinton is blaming her loss on FBI chief uh, Comey. What's what's your thoughts on that? Is is she missing the mark on this, or is she? What are your thoughts? Well, I think I think she doesn't want to blame the voters. And specifically, it did, for those voters that were voting on Election Day, it did raise raise the flag of doubt of her trustworthiness uh, with regards to this email scandal. And for them to specifically, for Comey, for Director Comey to specifically have it closed and then raise it up again, really wasn't helpful for the Clinton campaign. And she has, I think she has every right to, you know, to to be feeling that the way that this was raised was unprecedented. Um, but I, I say all the time, people have free will. They have to, mm-hmm. you know, specifically know that even with, all these things that happened and that were raised, you have to look where the candidates are on the issues. But both of them were, both candidates were terribly divisive. Both candidates uh, specifically had unpopular streams to them. But for her to point the finger to Director Comey doesn't necessarily recognize everything that went wrong with the campaign. Well, and see, that's that's where I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Is it's almost as if there is this inability to recognize the flaws in not only her campaign, but also in herself, in her yeah. character. When they used to do those uh, word picture charts mm-hmm. of what people thought of when, you know, when asked, you know, what word comes to mind when you think of Mrs. Clinton? Liar and uh, what is it? Liar and liar and untrusting or untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. Those are words that that came up. Could we have a president if people think that everything they say is a lie? And that they're not trustworthy if they don't trust them. And that's, yeah, that's one of the very... things that sort of resonated with me is if we don't trust her, first of all, why would we ever give anyone the secrets to our country if we don't trust them? I mean, heck, you cannot get a security clearance if you're just a regular person. Now, obviously, if the people elect you as president, then the people that's given you to a certain extent, they've given you the trust, but they're saying that they don't trust you. So I thought there would be something, there would be a disconnect there. And it seems like from her comments that she's, that they're still not coming to grips with the fact that, look, 
you were an obvious liar. People didn't trust you. If you weren't running against Donald Trump, you would have had the highest unfavorables of any other candidate running for president since they've been tracking it. It almost seems like there's just a total lack of reality here. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would say that uh, there was a, there was a definite disconnection, and yeah, specifically the trustworthy factor uh, and uh, the fact that people saw her as a liar did not help her. In this election, 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. 53 percent, even after even after all of what had been said and specifically the the things that that uh, he had said about women, uh, 53 percent still supported him. And it was because they didn't trust Hillary Clinton. See, that's a big number. Now, I'll admit I was surprised because I thought that white women and black women overwhelmingly we're going to go for Mr. Clinton. As it turned out, white, like you said, white women went for Donald Trump, but black women did come out for Mrs. Clinton. As a matter of fact, the yes. overall vote that she got from black people, contrary to what people like Rachel Maddow and others may be saying, is she, Donald Trump only got 8% of the black vote, par with what is normally given to someone else other than Barack Obama, President Obama. Mm-hmm. It's on the Republican side. Mitt Romney only got 6%, so it's actually up. So for them to say that black people didn't turn out, because they did vote fairly, uh, pretty high for Hillary Clinton. So there was something else going on here. The the base of the party, black people, she still got. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not proud of that. I'll admit, I'm not proud of that. I thought she took advantage of black people. I, what I ask people is I say, look, what are we getting for our vote? I wasn't against her. I, all I want to say is whoever we're voting for, what are we going to get? What do we tell them that we want? And no one would ever give me an answer. Uh, Bernie Sanders told me something Matter of fact, he told me something personally. He met with me personally, Roger. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I had, I asked him directly if he would use the bully pulpit of the Office of President and the Department of Education to push for our curriculum to be to integrate and incorporate African and African-American history and culture throughout all curriculum, pre-K through 12th grade, and all publicly funded schools of higher learning, colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. Unequivocally, he understood exactly where I was going with that and how it would improve race relations in this country. He started telling me before I could finish asking him the benefits of doing that, and he said, yes, he would. At that mm-hmm. moment, I was like, this guy right here, I, I, I can go for him. Now, when Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton's people came, notice I said Hillary Clinton's people because she did not come. She did not invite me to meet her. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders did. But when Hillary mm-hmm. people came to the gathering, I asked the same question, and they said no. 
As a matter of fact, you know, now that the election is over, I'll speak more honestly about it, even seem to have some disdain for me for asking for something. They, mm-hmm. they just wanted me to vote Democrat because I'm a black person and, I'm, and and they wanted my vote. And they expected my vote without me asking for anything in turn for my vote. And I had said mm-hmm. that, you know, my vote, in the words of the late Jonathan Abinette, my vote is for sale to the highest bidder. And that bid is the one who's going to do the most for me and my people. Mm-hmm. Clinton has fell short. Fell short. Bernie Sanders, he he, he took my bid. And right. he uh, said he would. And so I, I got it. So I, I, all I have to say is I just think that the Clintons maybe were tone deaf and so bent on knowing that this was predestined all, remember that coordination coordination they talked about? Mm-hmm. Maybe they just felt so entitled that they didn't have their eyes open to any other possibility. The way they were doing things works well in a popular vote situation, which Mrs. Clinton got the most popular votes, but not an electoral vote situation, which the race really is, which is you need those different pockets of states to turn out and vote for your candidate. And they have to feel like they're they're voting for the candidate and not so much against somebody else. But give me something I'm for. Um, Mrs. Clinton came out with the proposal of providing $25 billion to historically black colleges and universities. But that came out three days before the election. Hail Mary, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And Roger, okay, where was this? Yeah, where was this? Where was this earlier on in the campaign? Exactly. That, Roger, you were in my head because that's just what I thought. Why, Why are you saying this now? And when I thought, I said, the reason why she's saying it, she must be in trouble. And she's turning to the bait like people. To rally us yeah. out And notice President Obama and Mrs. Obama They were really hitting it hard I was like they yeah, must they be in trouble with black people Well if they're in, If they're sort of shaky about black people That means they're really in trouble We're always going to vote mm-hmm. And I, I, did, I didn't know It was this severe but what I will say Roger Is I'm not a, a, a betting person As you know yeah. But a long term associate of mine was determined to bet me that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And we were just having a general conversation, and I had said, well, I don't think she's going to win, and I outlined the reasons why. So we made a mock bet because she wanted to bet me. I didn't want to bet, so we made a mock bet, and the bet was dinner. I sort of forgot about it, but she did contact me through Facebook and and wanting to know basically – where and when did I want to go eat Because she owed me a dinner Which I totally forgot about And I thanked her for remembering And you know for her her honesty And forthrightness But you know it, the bet wasn't a real bet with me We can just go out and mm-hmm. eat But she definitely didn't have to um, uh, Pay for dinner And when I would talk to people about it They made it say oh well you're a Trump supporter And I said no I'm just looking at You know I'm seeing all of these people 
I'm hearing what he's talking. I said, to a certain extent, he's talking a, a lot of the things he's saying is quite like Bernie. He has crowds like Bernie. The enthusiasm, mm-hmm. the, the momentum seems to be swinging his way. And a lot of times I was uh, sort of left out there as a, as a Trump supporter, which I wasn't a supporter of either one. And I was clear and I said, I, I don't support Hillary Clinton uh, because of what happened in the primaries and because I think she cheated. And I don't think I thought the messaging for our young people of a person who's cheated to achieve the highest office in the land would reverberate throughout our society and that it would become normalized and it would maybe become normalized in politics. And she's a liar and untrustworthy. And I said, that's just bad for us as a country to have someone in the highest office in the land. Well, some people say, well, Donald Trump didn't pay his taxes. I said, well, Donald Trump did what he did legally. I said, so that's different. Matter of fact, I said, so which one of you guys are going to write a check to the Treasury Department giving money to the country? None of, I, I got zero takers on that. Yeah. Uh, There's someone so, that, has, that has had to do that. <laughs> I, I understand. Right. So, well, now, Roger, the Electoral College is getting a whole lot of publicity right now. And, you know, one of the things that Bernie Sanders talked about from the Democratic side was to get rid of superdelegates. And it's barely been mentioned, but I can tell you as a person, a member of the party, I would be going against those superdelegates. But, you know, we got a few more seconds uh, before we close out the show. But what's your thoughts on the Electoral College, and do you think we'll be – it will be impacted, and if so, how? I don't think anything's going to change. Just short answer. I don't think anything's going to change on that. People were talking about that when uh, when Al Gore and George Bush ran in 2000, but nothing changed. So we don't have the kind of Congress to change it, and I don't think there's any motivation to change it in the states. And what are your thoughts, and what would you say to all of the people who said their vote doesn't count, therefore they were not going to vote, or they would go vote for local offices, but they would not vote for the presidency? What message do you have for them? Uh, that's incorrect. Your, your vote always counts. It always counts. There were people like that that thought like that in Michigan. Over 90, you know, according to Michael Moore, the filmmaker, 90,000 of them didn't didn't vote on the presidential line, and it made a difference. Uh, it made a difference for Donald Trump because he was able to carry the state within that mar within that margin easily. So it always counts. Uh, and I think we should we should let folks know that it wasn't like there were. I don't believe there were any more votes cast in this election than in the previous election. Uh, the percentage of African Americans who participated may have been roughly the same. I'm, I'm not. I don't have that figure in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. But something did change within the folks who do vote. And what I tell folks is that a decision is going to be made. And if you don't go vote, you might be, and people like you might be the ones that that moderate the vote because people who are definitely going to vote tend to be the extreme, on the extreme 
wing and right wing. So the Democrats, those far left people are always going to vote because they really believe in their stuff. On the Republican exactly. side, those far right people, they're always going to vote because they believe in their stuff. Well, if the people who are more reasonable are removed from the equation, that means the dominance of thought in the party and action come from their extreme, which I actually think is a dangerous thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, down here for for the congressional races, both uh, congressional districts 7, 9, and 10, uh, Democrats won. And it was because uh, Orange County uh, Orange County and Polk County both performed over 70% of uh, 70% of their electorates came out. So I would point to those figures is specifically that part of it. So we have three new three new members of Congress going in. One, Namise American uh, and Stephanie oh, Murphy. Wow. African American um, African American woman in Val Demings, and uh, for Darren Soto, the first Puerto Rican outside of New York or Puerto Rico wow. to be elected to Congress. History in the making. History made. Yeah. So even within uh, those pockets, there was some good news, but statewide, Donald Trump carried the state of Florida. Oh, and let me say uh, also, big shout out to Asha Jones. Asha Jones took care of uh, some outreach here in Nevada for the Clinton campaign. Uh, Hillary Clinton did take uh, Nevada as a state, and the Nevada legislature, which formerly had both houses Republican, the assembly did turn blue, and a lot of it had to do with Asha Jones' overall leadership. Uh, Big Mm -hmm. shout-out to Brittany Miller uh, for taking a seat in the uh, assembly, a, a school teacher. Uh, oh, wow. So, yes, and so we did see uh, some some changes happening here in Nevada. One, that it's blue. Uh, two of um, the Jackie Rosen uh, for CD, uh, I believe it's three, uh, defeated Danny Tarkanian. And this may be his last hoorah in politics since he's lost almost every office there is to run for. And a big shout-out to Ruben Kewen, who was uh, my Democratic competitor in, uh, for the, in the primary for CD4 for defeating in, incumbent Crescent Hardy uh, to become the first uh, Tino congressperson representing the great state of Nevada. So history was made, uh, once again, uh, Catherine Cortez Mastos became the first Latina in Congress representing the great state of Nevada. And I'm not sure how many Latinas are actually in the United States Senate. Uh, So there were glass ceilings broken in many areas, but the ultimate glass ceiling of president is uh might have some cracks but it has not been shattered mm-hmm. so roger I, I do have a final question and then after this we got to run because we're over okay okay what is the possibility of the movement of change to continue in both the republican 
and Democratic Party for the upcoming 2018 and 2020 presidential race? I think you're just going to see a lot of different changes in both parties. Uh, For the Democrats, uh, they're going to need a new party chair who's going to set the vision for the national party and uh, do so in such a way where they'll be supportive of candidates that are, that'll probably be more progressive. And I think for the Republicans, uh, they're going to be looking for disciples out of Trump uh, and and people who can win elections uh, based upon rhetoric and being able to get media coverage as well as being able to galvanize their bases. So I I see it as for 2018, it's going to be a situation where both parties are going to be going to the extremes. And Bernie Sanders, I said that was the last one, but I got to get Bernie Sanders and his movement. What do you think happens to him in that movement? Um, Well, Bernie Sanders will be in the Senate, and I think specifically, depending upon how President-elect Trump does as president, I think you'll see with different issues that come up, uh, you'll see people be activated and be active uh, on those specific issues uh, from now until uh, Election Day 2018. Mm, Okay. Well, Roger, thank you so much for calling in and and, uh, staying so long on the program with us today and for your – well, much more expert opinion than my own. We may do another show uh, on this election result because a, a lot of, as you were talking, a lot of other questions came to mind. I believe okay. a lot of people still concerns. Uh, you know, there's people as we as we said who are protesting. There are people who are crying, and and there are people who said that they're scared. Um, there's a, there's still a lot of stuff. It's still churning. It hasn't settled yet. And uh, I think that we need to talk about those things and see if we can find some answers where maybe others haven't yet. So, Roger, I hope you'll be standing by, and I'll, I will get in contact with you, and maybe we can do that. Please reach out to me. So, okay, again, thanks for joining us on the show today. So, folks, you've been listening okay. to an extended version of Our Own Voices Live, but we did have a lot to talk about. The election alone really was a show. And then I wanted to talk about Veterans Day because sometimes I feel like Veterans Day as a holiday sort of gets lost. And I, I wanted to give you a little backdrop on a little history on it and then ask the question is how do you recognize Veterans Day and what does it mean to you? Also talk about the Wilmington, North Carolina insurrection, November 10th, 1898, uh, partially because it was an insurrection. It was an overthrow of a lawfully elected government, and we hear people are protesting this current election, and there's even a movement to tour to vote for Mrs. Clinton. And if you think there's people in the streets now, just imagine what it would be like if that happened. So just a lot of stuff going on, so I thought those things dovetailed together. Then, of course, we do have the election of Donald Trump. Many people say was a divisive character and uses uh, racist uh, tactics. And also we know that there was an insurrection that was because of racism. But Donald Trump won this election fair and square as best as we can tell. 
but I did see some similarities, and I thought that we we needed to educate ourselves on our history because, you know, the old saying is if you don't learn from your history, you're bound to repeat it, and insurrections and coup d'etats, those types, types of things in America are just not what America is all about. Uh, we did have an election. Maybe more people should vote for 2018. How is it looking for 2020? Are you willing to, to run for office? Do you know what your issues are? Are you putting some money aside so you can donate to some campaigns? Will you be willing to set some time aside to volunteer for the campaign of your choice? How about this one? And this is so important. Are you willing? Are you willing to educate yourself on not only the issues and the candidates, but also share that with other people? Are you willing to do that? Especially for those, go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook and continue the conversation. Go to Our Own Voices on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. And we probably will do another show, if not next week, uh, sometime very soon to touch on some points that we hit on today. Thank you very much for listening to Our Own Voices Live. We'll be back next Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That would be 3.30 p.m. for you East Coasters. Once again, thank you very much to Roger Harris for participating on the show. Big shout-out to Mrs. Angela Thomas celebrating the anniversary. Again, Donald Trump is the president-elect of the United States of America. Let that sink in. All right, Roger. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.